Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zenashe. I am your conduit, your coach, and your catalyst to that better life. A coach draws out hidden potential in a subject, a conduit provides a connection, and a catalyst sparks change. So today I am connecting you to a person who is, you know, someone I just met virtually about a month ago. Uh, you know, Facebook, the internet is a wonderful thing. You meet people that you've never even met in real life. Um, and I was on his podcast talking about education and CRT. And, and now he's coming on to my podcast to talk about education. And he is uh, a reverend who has about 27 years of experience in ministry. And he's worked with a lot of different groups with missions. Uh, and he told me recently that he's working on a doctorate in education. And so I can't even imagine, you know, <laughs> what, what the workload would be with that. Cause I have gotten several certifications in education and there's always a tremendous amount of reading. I think for one of my certifications, one of my certificates, I had to read like 16 books or something like that. It was, and do all kinds of work for, um, that endorsement that I got. So I can only imagine the, the doctoral thesis and everything that's coming up his way. So, so, you know, we are going to just explore this topic. Um, it is something that shouldn't be controversial, but sometimes is controversial, you know. So um, if you guys have any comments, feel free to, you know, type into the chat and, you know, questions that you have for us or comments that you want to make. Um, education has been through so many twists and turns, especially with COVID. You know, so we have, we can only scratch the surface on this podcast um, with talking about this, this really huge topic. But, you know, as a person who's been teaching for, gosh, 26 years in public schools, I do have some background with this. Um, so we're going to go ahead and dive into our topic for today. So I wanted to thank you for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Awesome. And can you tell the people where you're from? So I'm originally from Louisiana. I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, went to Southern University, so I was a Jaguar. Um, loved my historically black college. Um, and then I went to school in St. Louis where I got my degree, uh, my Master of Divinity degree to become a pastor and served places in Detroit, in Milwaukee, St. Louis, Chicago, and now I'm in Iowa, so. Ah, you moved around. My, my dad was from Detroit and I grew up between Baton Rouge and Houston. I went back to Baton Rouge every summer till I went to college. So I was born in Baton Rouge. So we have that in common. And Detroit, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I've never been to Detroit, but my dad, oh, okay. like I said, he grew up there. He didn't leave Detroit until uh, he was a young man. He met my mom at Southern. So we have that in common. He met my mom at Southern and that's where uh, they, you know, became a couple and decided to you know have kids get married all that kind of stuff so we do have some touch points in 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 common so I, the first question that i put down um on our facebook event was what does education mean to you so how well, would you define that, yeah that's an interesting question because to be honest when i was in school i was kind of bored as, as a student because until i found a teacher who engaged my mind it was hard to really focus on whatever it was God wanted me to do. And so for me, it was hard because education to me should be something that excites you, energizes you, 
wants you to go deeper. And I think you said, like you said on my podcast, helps you dream beyond yourself. And to me, it's like find that that part of you that wants to go deeper, that wants to discover the unlock potential. And to me, education be about unlocking potential in our people, our young people. I like that unlocking potential. And we have Chad Howard, who's just uh, watching us right now. So he's one of my friends who's a, a singer, a great musician and, and singer, amazing voice. So if you ever get a chance to, to listen to him, you can probably Google Chad Howard and listen to his music. He's a gospel singer, so you would love his music. I would, yeah, it'd be yeah. great. Yeah, so I do agree. Um, to me, education is exposing people to new ideas. And, you know, when we, one of the things I mentioned on your podcast is I feel that one of the things that education is supposed to do is to expand one's world. If all you know is the four walls of your house, the, the you know, few blocks of your neighborhood, that's a very limited view of the world. The world is so much bigger than that. And so to me, education is taking you into historical places, you know, places around the world, just showing you all kinds of opportunities and just different viewpoints. Um, and because of that, to me, a truly educated person is one who is very um, always learning and is very open to the fact that we are diverse. You know, humanity has many, many hues, many backgrounds, many faiths, many, many different things. And all of those have a place, you know. And so when you're educated, you're able to see, oh, this person isn't like me, but that's okay. They don't yeah. have to be like me. You know, I can learn from them. They can learn from me. And so to me, that's that's the power of education. And I also think that that's the power of college because a lot of times colleges are much more diverse than high schools or middle schools or elementaries because you have much more of an international flavor to a college. And I think that many students who go to college, they, they do get that cosmopolitan worldview of all kinds of different ways to see the world and, and to interact. And so I think that that's really the power of education is just really showing us that there's so many opportunities and I, like I said, so many ways to see the world. Yeah, and I think for me, college was about finding my voice. Um, mm. I, I went there, started out with looking to, to get a degree in business and realized that that really wasn't exciting me. And so I switched to computer science and it was there that I really got a chance to find creativity, uh, think outside the box, start to learn to think analytically, uh, probably being a problem solver. And it's like computer science was that one place where all the things I love to do, I found myself in that place. And it's been a blessing because I still do that even in churches. Is there's a system in place here. What's wrong with the system? How do I change the system? How do I reprogram the system, so to speak? How do I analyze the system and try to figure out how do we make the system function better? That's good. I like that. I like that. Um, and, and again, that that problem solving idea. You know, I want my students to be problem solvers. We have so many problems in the world today, and I think it was Einstein that said that you can't solve a problem with the same kind of thinking that created it. You actually have to, in a sense, think outside the box. Right. Um, and, you know, I've heard people say sometimes people come at a, a problem 
and they already have all these limitations. Well, we can only do this. We can only do that. And they were saying that the best solutions come when people say, well, what if we could do anything? What would we do if we could do anything? You know, if we could completely reform the system, if we could completely uh, come at it from a different perspective and even just brainstorming with that kind of very open mindset has led to some very creative ideas. You know, one, one thing I'm thinking about was uh, the Dyson vacuum, right? And, and he always starts his commercial saying, you know, vacuums always lose suction. And, you know, I thought, well, what if I could create a vacuum that doesn't lose suction? And I'm going to create it from the ground up. I'm not going to use any of the technologies that I've seen in vacuums. I'm going to start from the ground up. I'm going to create my whole new vacuum. And, and that kind of thinking has led to a vacuum that I think is vacuums like four or $500 to get it. it but is. supposedly <laughs> it never loses suction because he created right. a totally different technology that probably has some kind of very advanced technical name to create, to solve a problem because he said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, in a sense, make what's already there better. I'm going to start from, here's the problem of dirt and how can I create a vacuum that's going to get rid of this dirt without clogging, you know, with right, my exactly. own system. <laughs> right. You know, so we've kind of already talked about why we think education is important, kind of just giving us uh, a view of the world that's unique, causing us to be able to solve problems so to be a little more specific, what do you think are positives and negatives of American education? You know, it's interesting. When you think about American education, I think we need to figure out why we have education. Yeah. <laughs> Is our purpose to prepare people for a career? Is it to prepare our students to compete on a global, on a global platform? I'm not sure we actually have a clear idea as to why we have education. And I think that's kind of why we struggle with it. Is it, is it, I hear people say now, is it about indoctrinating our kids or whatever that would be? But if we're not clear what our goals is, because I remember I served in a lot of urban schools as a pastor. We had a lot of schools in, in Milwaukee, Detroit, Chicago, uh, St. Louis. And I realized that there were two different kinds of kids in my, in my school. There were kids who had college aspirations and you could see they had the gifts, the talents, and abilities. And they were just kids who, that was not going to be their future. But there was no track in education for those kids that did not want to go to college. And so they were just in school bored because they knew they weren't going to go to college. So they didn't pay attention. We didn't have a track to say, let's get you into a profession that you can make a living with. And so I had a lot of kids. I remember asking my, one of my eighth grade kids one day, uh, the whole class, what do you want to be when you grow up? And one girl said a video dancer. And I'm like, a video dancer? Like, they wanted to do girls who dance in the videos with the rap stars. And I'm like, well, how long is that career going to last? Because she, she could see beyond, well, I, I'm not going to go to college, so there's nothing else I can do in the world, but I'm good at dancing, so that's what I'm going to do. And so we have to find a way to make sure we have a track for people who are not college bound, but still prepare them for life. And I don't think we always do that well in American education, prepare kids for life. I agree with you on that. Um, I do, I, I'm a big proponent of vocational education. Um, I'm a big proponent of, again, like I said, trying to get people to, or students to look beyond 
where they're seeing like that girl that wants to be a video dancer. So I would probably say to her, okay, you could probably do that for a, a very short period of time, but let's really look at the, let's look at dance. Right. Let's research dance. What could you actually do with dance? Well, you could chore be a choreographer, you know, that's something that you could do for a very long time. You don't have to be 20 to do that. You know, you could do that. You know, you could do that in a lot of different ways. So if you want to be in a dance, you could be a dance instructor. You know what I'm saying? There's different things that you could do besides just a video dance. That's just such a small, limited um, avenue. Right. And there is going to, you don't even necessarily, some, some video dancers may have a lot of technical training and be very, very proficient. And some may just have a certain body shape. Right, you know? exactly. So if you give yourself, you know, let, are you in dance right now? Are you in cheerleading right now? Have you, are you athletically inclined? Are you actually building your stamina? Are you, you know, so to ask those kind of questions of, okay, if this is what you want, let's try to make it a little more practical, a little more um, where it's long-term. And then let's come up with, okay, even beyond, let's say you're a choreographer, let's do some business classes so that you could have your own studio sometime. And then when you get too old to dance, then you are having dancers come in and learn the craft. Right. You know what I'm saying? So there's so many different ways to do it. And, and, you know, to try to, to get beyond, I guess the book learning as the end all and be all of everything. And, you know, I thought what you said was very, uh, very prescient because why do we have education? Why are we forcing kids to go to school is a very good question. There are times when I think it's just about standardized testing. <laughs> you know? right. And that is such a, again, such a limited view because they passed the test at 10th grade. They passed the test at 11th grade. You know, some kids, because they think that that's all school is for, they think their senior year doesn't even matter. You know, and so if we're teaching the kids that all it's about is passing these tests, then they don't understand that I really do have to learn skills because when I leave here, no one is really going to care what my score on the star test or whatever, you know, test it was. They're not going to care about whether I can guess on a multiple choice test. They're going to care what kind of skills I have. Um, and so I think that we do have to figure out why, why do we have education? What is the goal of it? And to actually have our kids, you know, one of the things I used to do with my students is have them goal set. What do you want to get out of this year? What do you want to accomplish? And if your only goal is just, you know, a certain GPA, well, that's great, but let's make it a little more concrete than that because the GPA, some people get that through cheating and that's really not going to help you if you really get tested on those skills. Right. You know, if you, if you actually have to go out and build a bridge and you don't know how to build a bridge because you, you know, you, you cheated on everything, you could kill somebody, you know, or a lot of people. Exactly. And so, right. you know, I tried to get them to think in terms of what do you really want to be able to do? What do you really want to be able to learn? What are you willing to invest in yourself this year to get to where you want to be? Because this isn't all on me as the teacher. It's not all on the school, you know? So 
Um, I think that when it comes to, I guess, the positives and negatives of, of American education, some of there's to me, there's a lot of learned helplessness where, you know, a lot of students think that it's all on the teacher, it's all in the school. And, you know, if I didn't learn, oh, well, they didn't teach me right, you know, whereas they're not seeing that if you go to another country, that kid is maybe walking to school, you know, 10 miles and has a chalkboard in their hand. They don't even have a book. They don't even have a computer. You know what I'm saying? But they're going to sit there and they're going to learn to the best of their ability and they're not going to make any excuses about anything. You know, they're going to, they're, they're taking that opportunity seriously. And so I try to push my students to, to take things seriously, to, to really see that this is a privilege, you know, and not everybody gets it in the world. And just to really take hold of that privilege and try to make the most of it and try to make it personalized to them so that they get what they want out of it. Yeah, I think, and you talked about before how you, I love the idea of giving your kids goals to begin with, because then you have something to shoot for, you have something that you're, you're, you have a reason why you're in this class, what you're in education for. If we don't do that, I think we just kind of, we walk in there going, why am I, why am I learning algebra? Why am I learning, you, you know, advanced English? But my, I have a, I have a son who's just strong sometimes with um, the way, the way English is being taught to him is hard because he has a hard time focusing. And I had that problem too, because when I'm, when I'm reading, my mind tries to picture whatever it is I'm reading. And so as you're doing that, it's really hard to continue to get back on track where the book is going, because you're off going into, well, I would have taken this path with this book as opposed to where the author went. And so you have to really drill down to make sure you are following the author path, not your own path. That's true. That's true. I hadn't thought about it that way. That's, that's interesting. So uh, the next question that I had was, how does education relate to personal life, to business, to community life? What, what would you say to that? What I, what to me, education is a pathway to your future. And I think what people don't realize is, is you need to, you need certain skills to accomplish whatever it is God put on your life for you to do. And if you miss those, those key foundational parts of that, then you struggle with whatever the next part, next phase of your life is going to be. You can, it's really funny. I have a lot of uh, African-American kids who, who sometimes say to me, well, I don't want to change my hairstyle. They need to accept me in corporate America like I am. I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> they, they don't have to accept the way you dress. You, once you get to a certain level, maybe, but you need to learn to either make a way in the world that you have or create a world for yourself. Um, and so if you don't like the path that the world is taking you on, then you create your own path. But that means you need, the, you need the skills and the abilities to create your own business, your own brand, know how to market that, know how to fund that. You need to get those skills in place because if you're gonna do it on your own or mostly on your own, you're not gonna have a lot of help typically. So you need to make the right connections. You need to make sure you, you don't get cheated. Some of the things I see that that's the, the hardest for me to deal with is when you see a young athlete or a young uh, um, star or recording star get a big break, but because they had no idea about business, they signed a horrible contract. 
they end up spending 20 years in the industry and they have no money because they trusted someone to manage their money, to make all their appointments, to sign all their contracts, to take care of all the things. And then they have nothing at the end, but it's their talent that got them there, but they trusted the wrong people to take care of them. So you, education is really important. So you know whether or not you're making good deals. When I signed my first ever book deal, um, I negotiated it myself, but I did the research. Um, they offered me a certain amount. I'm like, no, I would, if I want the rights to this book. So I want to keep the rights to it. So let's, let's do a royalty thing. And I came in really high thinking, this is really what a, a, a established author would get. And they took it down 2%. So I actually got 2% more than I should have gotten because I, I knew what I was negotiating for. Uh, so you have to you know, do your homework so you don't walk in place and get it taken advantage of. That's very true. And, you know, also to add to that, um, I remember I had, I had my students do something where they we were looking at the power of reading and looking at how there are some companies now that are actually having applicants take a reading test. And the reason they're taking that reading test is because um, these companies have found out that people that can't read cost them money. You know, they cost them money in terms of like, let's say you have to put in a program and you didn't read the directions correctly and you put it in incorrectly or you assembled something incorrectly or you didn't follow basic directions, you know, that could break a machine, you know, that could, you know, cause all kinds of complications on a project because you didn't read something correctly. And um, so it, it, even part of this, this research that I had them do was talking about people and their drugs, you know, like when a person goes to the pharmacist and they have to be able to take the drugs at a certain rate or a certain, you know, dosage, but they can't read it or they didn't read it well. And then we have people that are overdosing, people that are underdosing, and it's literally affecting their life, their, their health, because they couldn't understand what they were reading, you know? And so, you know, reading is really important. Education is really important, not just in terms of like when you're in school, but when you leave in terms of the, the quality of life that you live and whether you're able to tackle adult responsibilities. You know, I remember when I first got married, this was, oh gosh, you know, I was what, 24 and I'm divorced now, but I was 24 and I remembered meeting my, um, my ex-husband's cousin and his cousin had been this great football star, you know, had all these accolades, thought he was going to the NFL and all that and got injured. And now every time he had to sign, you know, like a lease or something like that, he would ask to take it to somebody, you know, because he couldn't read it. He couldn't understand it. And here is a person with a high school diploma who can't read, you know, a one page lease and understand what he's signing up for, you know, or he would have to take someone with him. And that person was just there to basically read the lease to make sure, hey, this is how much you're signing up for. This is how many months. This is the late penalty. This is whatever. He didn't even have that much reading skill, you know, which it was like, it was hard for me to understand that as a teacher, I'm looking at a grown man who's got children and can't read a one page lease. Right. You know? yeah. And it, it was, it was like, wow. Okay. What, 
how many difficulties is he going to have in life because of this? You know, and it, it was just kind of heartbreaking to to see that. And sad, it's not just, it's not a not his only story. A lot of people are in that same situation. So it's really sad if you don't understand the importance of why you need to be able to have reading comprehension. That's true. Or even basic math, you know, right. writing ability, you know, just, just at a, you know, just a basic level. So given that we've talked about how important education can be, how it can be a pathway to your future, how it can open doors. I feel shocked in 2021 and 2020, you know, when I look at going back to Barack Obama coming in as a a presidential candidate, one of the criticisms of him was that he was too intellectual that his vocabulary, his speeches, uh, he was just too intellectual. And that was actually used against him over and over and over again. People said that he was out of touch. People said that he couldn't understand the struggles of the common man, which to me made absolutely no sense because he is a black man from, you know, a a, a, a biracial couple. He, if you've seen the pictures of him in his twenties, he didn't have anything. You know what I'm saying? He literally had nothing. He was a community organizer. This was not your career politician whose dad and granddad and uncle have been making hundreds of thousands of dollars for millennia, you know, since this country was founded for hundreds of years. So to say just because he's educated, just because, you know, he went to Harvard or any kind of uh, Ivy League school that he's out of touch, that he can't relate. I, I, I was like stunned by that. I was like, wow. So why do you think that America, at least the people who were making these criticisms, and it was a, a big percentage. It wasn't like 10% of people. It was quite a big percentage why do you feel like um, these people that have this criticism are so anti-intellectual? Why, why, why do you think that that is? You know, it's funny because I think <laughs> I have coming out of seminary, we have this whole, just like you do in education, we have all these, these terms that we learn that if we use them, you know, people in our field get them. And we can sound really intelligent by using them. <laughs> um, but I think the gift is, is that I think when people push back on Barack Obama and other people who are intellectual and use, you know, <laughs> I would say big words, uh, I think the struggle is sometimes people feel stupid. And when you don't feel in, that you understand what the person is saying, you attack the person versus you going and understanding what those words are. We're taught that if, I, if I'm made to feel stupid by a, by a speech or by something that I'm hearing on TV, it's the person who's communicating's fault, not my fault for not going and figuring out what they're saying. And so I, I had to learn early on that, yeah, I could use all those words, but at the end of the day, if the people I'm communicating with don't understand what I'm saying, then I just look intelligent, but they don't get it. And it's sad because you want to bring people up to a level versus talking down to a level. And I think 
he probably got caught in that thing of, am I communicating to the masses versus do I sound intellectual and intelligent as I am communicating? And I think the, the criticism probably isn't fair. It's not fair. But that's, that's the reality. People are like, I don't want to feel stupid, so I don't even want to listen to speeches. <laughs> because I'll listen to it, and I don't know what those words are. I don't want to go look them up in the dictionary. I don't even know how to spell most of them. So I'm just going to put it on him as he should be a better communicator. Hmm. You know, there was an article that was, um, it was on the AP test, probably about 2015. And it was by a gentleman. It, it, the title of the article was America Needs Its Nerds. <laughs> it was by a guy named Leonard Friedman. Um, Leonard Friedman, F-R-I-D-M-A-N. So it's a very short article. It's one page. If you want to look it up, you know, anybody in the audience can look it up. But he starts off the article saying that the definition of geek, G-E-E-K, is a person who bites the head off of a live chicken. <laughs> and he said there's something wrong with the country where that's what we call intellectual people where we consider them freaks and he went on to say that there were parents who um, were embarrassed that their kid would be at home studying instead of going out and getting wasted at a party um, and there were parents who were afraid that um, their kids were too serious and too um, driven when it came to studies and they wanted them to be kids and, and they didn't want them to be intellectuals. They didn't see the value in it. And then he was saying, um, if we are elevating athletes and uh, celebrities that are singers and, and other things, not to say that there's anything wrong with these people, but we have so much value for them, but then when it comes to people that are, you know, intellectuals, scientists, or, you know, doctors, or people like that, we're almost like, oh, my goodness, you know, they have no life. I don't want to be that, you know, that's, that's too hard. You know, that's no fun. You know, um, it's, it's always a, a prestige on one hand, but then there's the, almost the, ooh, you know, the, the wincing of that's, that's just not cool. You know, that's not cool to be that way. It's not cool to be the nerd or the geek, you know, or the intellectual. And it was even talking about in this article how students at prestigious universities like Harvard and Stanford and Yale were actually playing down how much they studied because they didn't want to be considered that person that was so serious or so studious because that just wasn't cool and and at the end he was saying this is a uniquely american phenomena because anywhere else in the world people appreciate and and honor professors and college students and they 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 look up to them they 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 think that they are you know the future of the country and they invest in them financially, you know, by again, a lot of the, the other countries of the world having free education for their college students. Uh, but we put these people down in some ways and act like they're weird or strange or, you know, just they need to lighten up. They need to, 
you know, they need to be kids. They need to, you're wasting your twenties. You're wasting your twenties, taking all this college seriously. You're supposed to be partying away, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so on the one hand, we're making college so expensive. And on the other hand, we're telling kids don't take it seriously. You know, don't, don't, don't give your all to it. And, and at the end of the article, he was saying, how are we going to compete with other countries that do take education seriously when we don't, when we think of, you know, life as a game, right? You know, and, and, and it's all about how much fun we can have. Um, I thought that was a very interesting question, which I did not have an answer to. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was listening to a lady who was from born and raised in Africa. And she said in Africa, I think she was in, from Zimbabwe, that the smart kids, the, the hip kids were the kids who were in the top 1% of the class. And I thought, what an interesting change. And, and the come here, she said it was just strange because that wasn't the goal here. The goal was not to be in the 1%, to be in the top of the class. It was just the opposite. You made fun, like you said, you made fun of the people in the top of the class. And as long as we have that mindset about success and even intelligence, we're going to make fun of the people like Barack Obama or anybody else who's intelligent because we make fun of the top 1% because they make us feel silly or inferior. And so we, we lift up the people who don't. I mean, even when I was in school, I would turn my homework in first, leave the classroom and come again with all my friends. And, and when they didn't turn their homework, it's like, oh, neither one of us turned their homework in. But I did my homework, <laughs> but it wasn't cool to turn it in. So end of the day, you know, they got, you know, C's and D's. I didn't because I actually did my homework. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you think it is that Americans by and large who have this idea don't think about the fact that other places don't think this way or they don't care that other, you know, because we're so exceptional, we can, we can party all the time. And then when it comes to, getting something done. We're just going to do it just because we just that good. You know, is, is that the attitude that you think people have or what? No, I get, I think it goes back to the, your, your first question, American education. What is the point of it? Hmm. And, and who do we honor in it? We don't, we don't honor the valedictorians. We don't lift them up as this is the model. We lift up the star quarterback, the, the cheerleader captain, we lift up popular people. The popular hip people are not the smart ones, they're not the scientists, they're not the Supreme Court justices. They are athletes, they're actors, they're um, dancers. So the people that we hold in high esteem are like the upside down of other cultures and other, other places around the world. So yeah, kids are not going to say, yeah, I want to be the next Clarence Thomas or the next whatever you want to name, next Barack Obama, because nobody lifts those people up as successful, which is crazy because they've achieved a lot. But we don't we don't celebrate scientists, you know, the the doctor, the lawyer. We celebrate the athlete. And and I'm not dismissing the athlete, but those are the people that we tell our kids they're successful. The the hip hop artist who at 25 is a millionaire and has all these gold and cars and houses. And we say, that's what success looks like. Hmm. 
And so what are our kids going to strive for? They're going to strive for, I want to be Jay-Z. I want to be Beyonce. I want to be LeBron James. They're not going to say, I want to be the president of the United States or a congressman or a lawyer or a doctor or a scientist because we don't, we don't lift those people up. They, those names never come out that we talk about in the news unless they do something wrong. Like if they, if they make a big mistake, then we'll talk about them. But if otherwise, they're not the ones we lift up in society. Hmm. So the next question I had is, um, why do some Americans seem to exalt our American myths or traditions over history and facts? Is that the same anti-intellectualism or is that something completely different? Yeah, I mean, if, if you don't have a love for history and the past, and, I mean, you, you're not gonna celebrate that. There are probably more TikTok legends than there are real <laughs> legends in, in our society. You could probably name more tick. They could probably name more TikTok stars and more Instagram stars than they can historians. And mm -hmm. so our society has become sound bites and trending on Facebook and Twitter. Those are the people that are famous and popular. We don't know our history. Um, I, you, we, 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 we were having this thing on Facebook today, and it's funny to me that. That, that people just have no idea about history. Uh, and so they don't know what the, what the civil rights was about. They don't know what Dr. King was about. They, it, it's just we have, we've dummied down society to the point where it's impossible to have an, a, a good conversation because nobody knows history. Nobody knows the, the past. Nobody knows the future. Nobody even knows the theory. So. If you bring up a, a controversial topic, what you're going to get is you're going to get talking points. If you watch MSNBC, you'll hear the people spout MSNBC talking points about a topic. If you are a conservative, you hear people talk about Fox News, Newsmax. So what I tell people is stop using your talking points and actually study the topic. If you can't tell me what you believe, not what you've heard, not what you saw in a 10-minute video, but what you actually have read, then we can't have a conversation. And so I get exhausted talking to people on Facebook because I don't even want to engage because you don't even know what you're talking about. You, you haven't actually studied anything. You haven't read anything. You don't, you don't know who the founders of the movements that you are for or not for even are. You don't know what they believe. You don't know where it comes from. All you know is what you've seen in a video or you saw uh, a three second spot. And so we have no intellectual thought because we can't really reason. We only repeat what we've heard. And so we have parrot conversations, not honest conversations. You're right. Uh, and it's really sad because it starts very young. I was on, uh, I was looking at the news the other day. It was probably two days ago. And there was a, a young girl, nine years old, who went before her school board because the school board had put up like four different posters, all diversity posters. And on one of the posters, it said BLM, Black Lives Matter, just the, just the initials BLM. And she was, she was just so enraged that the school had put up this BLM poster because she said that the school had told, uh, I guess, students that they couldn't wear BLM slogans. 
And she was completely in favor of that because BLM was about rioting and uh, burning down buildings and attacking police and um, anarchy. And I'm like, wow, okay. So somebody has indoctrinated her very well because Black Lives Matter has nothing to do with rioting and attacking police. Not to say that people haven't said things at Black Lives Matter rallies, but they've said things everywhere else too. But the whole statement Black Lives Matter is just that, that Black lives matter, that they should be just like any other life in terms of a life that is valued, a life that's not snuffed out for no reason, a life that is, you know, that they matter, not that they matter more, just that they matter. And I was like, wow, okay, so now we have a ninth grader going before the school board, totally enraged that the school board put this up because now in her mind, the school board is, um, you know, supporting rioting and attacking police and anarchy. And um, you mentioned indoctrination, right? Um, I remember when I was going to college, again, I've been out of college 30 years almost, you know, but I remember when I was going to college, there were people around me who were warning me, and this was literally what they said, don't go to that college and lose your faith, girl. Don't go to that college and let them fill out your fill your head with all these ideas. All these ideas. That's what they're supposed to do in college. They're supposed to give me ideas. You know, and I'm I'm sitting there, and of course I'm not wanting to be disrespectful to any of my elders, but you know what what I basically said was, I know that you love me and you want to protect me from anything that you feel is harmful, but I want to be exposed to as much knowledge as I can be because knowledge is power. And my faith is strong enough to exist and not be tarnished or damaged by facts being introduced to it. And if it's not a fact, I should have enough sense as a grown woman to be able to discern that I am being fed propaganda or some other falsehood right you know so um i again having from my own personal experience i've seen people afraid of education because they feel that it's going to somehow undermine someone's faith it's going to indoctrinate the person it's going to take the person away from their family you know you're you're not going to be the same when you come back you know, you're, you're going to be, we're not going to be able to relate to you. You're not going to be able to relate to us. We don't really want you to go. And I think that all of that is so, um, it's sad because the idea that being exposed to something new, being exposed to something that's, that could expand your life and expand your world is going to harm you or your family. Um, I don't see that as something that a lot of upper class people even even would cons- you know consider that wouldn't even be a concept to me that's a poverty mentality um it's it's um 
and it's it's one of the ideas I think that has kept us so locked into the limitations we have. You know, I remember my daddy telling me, you're going to be a reader and you're going to be able to find out any information that's out here on the planet. And he said, because there used to be a saying, if you want to hide it from a black man, put it in a book. <laughs> that's what my daddy told me. I think I heard that one too. So what do you think about that idea that intellectualism is going to uh, indoctrinate people or it's going to take them away from their faith or they're going to lose touch with their family? What, what do you think about those fears? So I think, I think the problem is really is this. If you don't have a solid foundation before you go to college, then you don't have the ability to rationally, like you said, take the good, take the new ideas and sift them through a filter that you say, I agree with that, I don't agree with that. So what we end up having is because we don't have a strong educational foundation is we do have some kids who come back getting exposed to new ideas and not having the grounding to be able to say, well, that's really interesting. I, I agree with that. That's garbage. I'm going to throw that out. And so you, you end up shaping and developing your morals, your, your core, but every idea that comes into your head. I mean, I have people that every new idea to go, well, that's really great. I like that. I agree with that. I agree with that too. <laughs> so you end up having this, this core in you that is so mixed up. Like we, even our, our talk today online, there are people who have, have pieced together so many different philosophies and thoughts. I, I knew a, a lady who, everything she saw religion, why she believed it. So she said to her son one day, you know what, when I die and come back as a, I want to come back as, as a leopard. And she was a Christian. So all of a sudden now she believes in reincarnation because she didn't have a strong enough faith to go, well, that's a, that's a nice concept, but that's not really in the Bible. And so if, if you don't have a solid grounding, then everything sounds good. And we need to teach our kids to be able to think for themselves, to reason for themselves, to sift through a lot of the ideas. There's a lot of philosophy that I'm studying even now in my doctorate, and I'm going, well, nihilism is bad, but... <laughs> But, you know, I don't think that's a good, a good way to go through life. If you don't, you go, well, maybe there is no real meaning in life or that, you know, or modernism where, you're, you know, everything is a copy of a copy of a copy and nothing is really real. I mean, interesting concept. I, you know, I, you know, that's a great thought, but that doesn't gel with this. But if, if you don't have something that says that's an interesting concept, that's an interesting philosophy, here's why I don't agree with it, here's where it falls apart then you start taking on every single thing you see. Um, and you come home and your parents don't know you because they never knew you in the first place because what they thought you believed, you never really believed. You just believed it because that's all you heard at the time. So how do you process new ideas? How do you sift through and test new theories? We need to teach our kids how do we test and examine new ideas, new concepts, new things in the world, because the world's always constantly changing. If we don't know how to process information and discern what is good, what is not, then you will make bad choices throughout your life. So we need to teach our kids to say, yes, you will be bombarded 
with new ideas every day. You need to have the ability to debate, to argue, to discuss, to think for yourself, or you will fall into every single trap that's out there. Yeah, I think that's a great, great thing to say because, you know, I teach AP English. We uh, deal with almost 98% nonfiction, articles, speeches, you know, those kind of things. But one of the things that we're supposed to cover is the ism. So we start off with primitivism and then we move into Puritanism and then we move in. And, and what I tell my kids is every ism that you learn, realize it's a rebellion against what came before. In most cases, they got sick of what was prevalent and they said, we don't believe that anymore. We're going to come up with a new philosophy. We're going to do things different. And so they kind of threw out, in a, in a lot of ways, the, the baby with the bathwater. They right. didn't say, there was great things over here. Let's keep this. They were like, oh, no, they were all messed up. We're starting over. We're starting over. Um, and then, but when you look through all of these isms, you know, one of the things I say to my kids, what do they have in common? People were on a search for meaning. That's what they were trying to find. They were trying to find meaning in the world. They were trying to find peace and fulfillment. You know, we even talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. How once you get your physical needs, your food, water, shelter, safety, that's when people start looking up at the stars. Why am I here? Right. Why am I here? What does the world mean? What does life mean? What do I need to do to be the best person or to be happy? And every hundred years or so, we come up with a different answer to that question. Right. And so, you know, so I say to them, we're going to look at all of these answers and you're going to get to see all of these answers. And then you're going to decide whether you think any of them had anything good to say, or if none of them had anything good to say, or whatever you decide, you know, would be your answer to that question, because we are all on a search for meaning. And to, again, as I started off with education, what is education? To me, education is opening people up to the possibilities and letting them see all of the different possibilities that are out there. And to, as you said really well, sift through, sift through. You know, this is logical. This makes sense. This is, this is practical and it works. And this, hmm, you know, right. I don't think so. This, <laughs> yeah. this, this is, is problematic, this, right. Yeah, this is problematic. You know, this is problematic. And just because, you know, I remember, um, I think it was Emerson, he wrote this essay called The American Scholar. And he said, and my kids have to read this, and it says every age must write its own books because the books from a previous age don't always fit the new age. You know, and then he said, he said, when people go into libraries and they study the greats, they put these people up on a pedestal as being almost divine and they don't question them, but they're not understanding that when that person was writing that book, that person was just a person right? with just a theory, with just a way of seeing the world. That person didn't consider themselves divine. They considered themselves a writer, a thinker, a philosopher, maybe even a prophet if you want to go far far enough back but they didn't consider themselves to have all the answers no we turn them into gods <laughs> we turn them into that we, we right. put them up on the pedestal and he was saying as a scholar take them down off the pedestal 
and realize that this was just a man. This was just a person giving their revelation for you to be able to glean from their revelation, whatever works, whatever's real, whatever still fits your age, but whatever doesn't fit, that's when you need to create a new book. That's when you need to create your new way of saying things because we, you know, we, we, we move and we change and we have to grow. And, you know, so, you know, it's, it was very interesting. I, I have the kids break that. It's a long piece. It's a long piece. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, I have, I put them in pairs and I give them each a paragraph and I'm like, you got to break it down, paraphrase and put it in your own words. Let's discuss it paragraph by paragraph. What is he saying? You know, and they discuss it and we talk about it. And it's very interesting because for some of them, it's the first time anybody they've ever heard that idea that just because it's in a book or it's by a classic writer doesn't mean that this person was, you know, the end all be all. They're just a person. Right. Shakespeare's just a person. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, you know, these people that we we put on these pedestals, they were just philosophers. They were just thinkers. And, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting to get that perspective and students be like, okay, so I am supposed to be the thinker now. I'm supposed right. to be the thinker now. It's my job to be the thinker now. It's my job to sift through what I'm being given and, and, yeah, to, and to write your own story. Yeah. And to write my own story. So it's, and that to me is what education is. And, and a lot of our students are not taught that they're, they're not taught to question. They're not taught to think they're not taught. They're just taught to swallow. Right. Um, and the, the, pro the problem with that is you can swallow poison just as easily as you can swallow, you know, the nectar of the gods as some people would say, you know, <laughs> exactly. so you, you need to, you know, you need to decide before you swallow it. What is it? Is this is it, is good it or bad? Right? Yeah, is it poison? Yeah, let's let's decide first before we swallow this. So there is a term that I mentioned today on your Facebook page, <laughs> cognitive dissonance. And that is the idea that when someone is exposed to new ideas, that facts can't convince them, that they're so enmeshed in their belief system that you could give them every fact on the planet. Like for example, people who think that COVID doesn't exist, right? You could give them every fact on the planet. You could show them somebody who died from COVID. You could show them COVID under a microscope. You could, you know, you could do whatever it took. You would think for a normal person to believe that COVID just exists, just exists. And they would say, no, it doesn't exist. It's a hoax. <laughs> because their belief system is set and they have closed their mind to anything else no matter how many facts you give them it doesn't change anything um do you think that you know there is any hope for people who are kind of trapped in cognitive dissonance do you believe that there can be a shock to their system that can make them see something different or do you think that they're just they're just going to be like that forever. Do I think they're hopeless? No, I don't think they're hopeless. I think there's always that there's always something in life that will pull back the veil. Um, one of my favorite movies is the matrix. 
Uh, and there's that scene where Morpheus says, do you want the red pill or you want the blue pill? You take the red pill, you, you stay, you go back to your room and everything stays the same. You take this other pill and we go down, we see how far the rabbit hole goes. There is always that event in your life that will force you to go farther down the rabbit hole. Either your systems of belief or something shakes you to the point where you go, everything that I believed or have been taught is wrong. The danger of that moment for people is, do you have something to fall back on when you reach that point? Mm. Because that's a hard fall for people who get the veil pulled back on them. And I think I've seen that during this COVID thing with some people who, for whatever reason, trusted blindly, sometimes doctors or science. And they found out that, well, some of these things that I believe weren't true or science keeps changing or whatever. So th th there's always that moment where you, you realize that the very foundations of what you stand for unless it's faith sometimes. Um, I want to make sure I clarify that. But the foundations of the world sometimes are on, a, you're building on a house of cards. And if one card gets pulled from that house that's keeping your house stable, everything else falls down. So sometimes I think people live in that, in that place where they deny other things because they are seeing things that are, that are shaking their house of cards and the thought of their entire house and foundation collapsing down around them is too much to deal with. So I would rather just blindly not accept that and go along with thinking everything's okay until something forces me to think differently. And, and it's always that moment when something forces you to think differently. Like you can think of the 25 year old, I will live forever until <laughs> your best friend dies in a car accident. Right. Right. Or, or a 21 year old that, you know, gets cancer and you go, I'm not going to live forever. And, and you see the veil pull back on those people and they go, I got to change my life because I don't, I'm not indestructible. I won't live forever. I have to learn to appreciate life as it is. So there's always something in your life that will pull back that those walls you build up to keep you from realizing and dealing with the truth. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I remember I saw a meme and it was talking about how it was so amazing how certain politicians were so against something until someone in their family experienced it. Or, um, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. like there was a, I think it was a, a woman, I don't remember her name, but she was so against the idea of maternity leave, like that we should do anything with, with giving women maternity leave until she actually had a baby and she was supposed to go back to work like within you know, three weeks. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready. My body's not even ready. I'm still in pain. You know, right. I haven't even, you know, and she was so stunned by the fact that her body had not even begun in a sense to get back to normal in three weeks. And right. now she's basically lobbying for more maternity coverage and more, more things where she had been a staunch, you know, opposer of that previously. And it's like, it, it's sad that people seem sometimes, some people, to only be able to be educated about something when it happens to them or when it or, happens. Or they to see something. Like I was watching Selma last Sunday 
the movie Selma. And it, it was amazing to me that people sat on the sideline and did nothing until they saw the cops attack those defenseless people on the, on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And because it was televised, all of a sudden, pastors got up off their couches out of their churches to join the march. But they needed something that traumatic to shake them and say, what's happening in this country is wrong. Now, it had been going on. You, you could pretend it was, everything was fine. But somehow that moment in time, that incident on that bridge woke up people to say, what's happening in, in to Black people in our country is just wrong. And we can no longer stand on the sideline. We have to do something. So yeah, I have hope that there are those events that will force us out of our comfort zone. We don't want to, but they shock us into, I can no longer stand silent and I can no longer sit on these, these belief systems because what I see is so horrific or so tragic that I have to act. Yeah, and I think George Floyd, um, the tragedy of that was another pivotal moment in our history the history of the world, you know, that was something that rippled across the entire world. And I don't think that the world will ever be the same from that moment forward. You know, I think no one can ever unsee that. Um, and no one can ever, who, no one who is not completely mired in cognitive dissonance can deny that that was just a horrific killing of someone without any provocation. And so it's, it's things like that, that as you say, they rip the veil off of people's sensibilities and make them you know, face up to the fact that there are things that they have not been facing up to. And, and even things like the, the woman in the park who's basically calling the cops saying, this bird watcher, has threatened her life right. when all he did was ask her to put her dog on a leash. You know, I mean, people who are like, wow, she just tried to, in a sense, get him possibly killed, shot over having the audacity to tell her to put her dog on a leash. You know, so we, we have these things that happen that are now caught on tape or caught on video. Um, and, you know, Will Smith said, racism isn't getting worse it's just getting filmed <laughs> you know? interesting point yeah yeah so but I, but I think we have to make sure to that we we catch people mm. because we we need to, we need to be compassionate to realize that when that bill gets pulled back it, it will change people but what does it change them into because I can see people who all of a sudden were saying, well, everything's okay. Now they want to become an activist, but they join the wrong group, you know? <laughs> so instead of joining the march, that's going to, you know, make it bring about change. Now they're rioting or whatever. So you, you want to make sure that you give people an outlet when the veil is pulled back to positively impact change, not pick the wrong group or drink the wrong, wrong container of poison. So you, you want to make sure that there's something safe to fall into. That's true. Well, we kind of have come to the end of our time and um, I wanted you to tell people where they can find you, your blog, your podcast. Sure. Uh, they can find my blog on alightbreaksthrough.org 
And my podcast also comes on there too, but my pod, my podcast is Becoming Bridgewater. This is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the major platforms. And that podcast really is about continuing conversations like this, about how do you bring about healing in the world, especially around race. So I bring on guests like Zen and we talk about tough issues and get a lot of feedback from people saying, I never thought of it that way. So if you're looking for answers and some practical action steps, that's a good place to go find some. And I am Zenashe, and so I have a podcast called Zenergy, which you are watching a live recording of right now. It's spelled Z-E-N-N-U-R-G-Y, and it is on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, um, the YouTube versions of this. You can go to my YouTube channel, Zenergy, and see these kind of uh, discussions, you know, because I deal with anything that's going to make us have more peaceful, fulfilled lives. You know, Zenergy is about the urge for more peace and fulfillment in life. And I also have inspirational merch from, these are little bands, you know, they say positive things. I have what I call smiley cards. You basically get 10 cards that have uh, different sayings. They look like business cards, but they have different inspirational sayings. These are magnetic bookmarks. So they each have positive sayings on them. Like one of them, no root, no fruit, you know? So I also have them in this format where you have different ones. And I also have affirmation, little magnetic bookmarks that they slide on the page. And I actually have a personal development package that takes people through 16 different concepts. You have journals, you have meditation prompts, you have places to put, you know, pictures of people who passed on that have really inspired you. You can research those people. We we're talking about education and you can have kind of a vision board space. So this is like kind of what one of those pages would look like when you fill it out, you know, so different topics and it comes with a journal. And so I have several different motivational, inspirational things that you can buy from my website, laughsandlyrics.com slash shop or laughsandlyricsmerch.com. So I want to thank you for joining us for this conversation on education. Like I said, we only touched the surface. We talked about a lot of things about education. And I would encourage you to check out Mr. Haney and his podcast and his blog. And thank you for joining us again. May you walk in Zenergy. Have a great night. My name is Zenai Shea, and I have a weekly podcast called Zenergy, which is fuel for the mind, body, and soul. And this is the Zenergize Your Life Goal Setting Package, Volume 1. It comes with a workbook, a journal, stickers, a bookmark, tabs, and a QR code where you can find my podcast. And inside this workbook, you're going to have 16 different principles. The first one, I'm going to show you mine is abundance. You have a place to put pictures that inspire you of role models, also pictures of goals that you want to create, goals, journal prompts, meditations, affirmations, all kinds of things to help you focus on this principle to better your life. And like I said, there's 16 principles. So this is a $15 package that comes with all of these things I've shown you, $21 with shipping and handling, and you can get it at laughsandlyrics.com. So Zenergize Your Life with me. Thank you.